in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome on in to another episode of the Sports Hour. It's good to be here. Mitch, how are you doing today? You know what? The sun is out. I'm still upright. I'm not six feet under. You only get 365 of these a year. There's no sense in having a bad one. I'm great. I'm great, dude. How are, Mitch how are you? Mitch is so positive. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air in such a dull, dark world. Uh, I'm all right. It's been an okay Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It's not Wednesday, my dudes. Uh, I may have made a big fuss about recording these on Wednesdays, and we're not even doing this podcast on Wednesday because I have things going on. So it is Tuesday the 15th. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing better because we are recording this podcast. So it's that is that's what's positive for me, my friend. Oh yeah, huge positive. I, I I'm, it, it it just makes my week every time I get to come on here and talk sports with you, buddy. Uh, this is a we got a stack show, dude. We, we got do. a stack show. Yes, we have quite a bit. NFL free agency is underway. The legal tampering period opened on Monday. Uh, so we have quite a few deals. We're going to go through uh, basically everything uh, and, and sort of talk at length that what we feel like uh, the notable moves are, whether it's uh, free agent signings or a handful of trades that have gone down uh, in these last few days as the NFL offseason really gets underway here this week. Uh, we've also got quite a bit in our news segment, uh, Major League Baseball updates, good stuff there, NBA uh, Mitch, yeah, we've got a chock full show. A top five, always a treat when we get a top five. Come on, yeah, uh, we got another top five, and and thank God for the input for our our dedicated listener Spencer for bringing it up that uh, he missed the top five. We had we had really scaled back on the top fives. I'm glad to be bringing them back weekly. Now we got tons of ideas down the pipeline, and if you go check out uh. The sportshourguys.wordpress.com. We're going to start putting some top fives in blog form for you guys to go read. So uh, big stuff coming down the line there. Make sure to go check out the website. Uh, wow. You have a forgotten all-star as well, buddy. I do. I do have a forgotten all-star. But Mitch, the top five is the star of the show. You know, the the, the top five is the headliner. The forgotten all-star is the opening act. All right. Uh, it's just a little tease you know, before we get to the true climax of the podcast. Yeah, yeah I mean, I like to think of it as a nice crescendo into the meat and bones. I like to, right. I like okay. to think of it like that. Yes. I wouldn't call it the star. Okay. I, I stay humble. Humble yourself. <laughs> stay humble. 
I like it, yes. Don't Ye- get Ye has taught me a lot. Stay oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, we can all learn from Mr. Kanye West on humility. You know, it's actually funny you bring him up. Caitlin and I, uh, my wife suggested to watch this Netflix documentary, Genius. You've heard about this, right? The Kanye doc. Uh, there's a documentary on his life. Apparently, a friend of his has been filming this for over 20 years. Uh, it starts in like the early nineties uh, and it just talks about Kanye's rise into music and his journey. And it actually is very fascinating. Uh, my, my wife suggested to watch it. I've been wanting to watch it, but you know, just kind of haven't got around to it. She was like, I heard it's good. I was, yes, great. You want to watch it? Awesome. So we watched. there's three parts. We watched the first part of it uh, the other night. It was very good. Very interesting. Uh, you see his humble beginnings, and it makes you appreciate the megalomaniac he's become now. Yeah, I, I'm not a big Kanye fan. Uh, of course, not near the Kanye fan that you are. Sure. Um, but I love documentaries, so I might have to check that out. I, it I is have good. A, it's I have well a quick little, quick little movie suggestion for you. I watched American Underdog. Oh, the, the Kurt Warner story. You know what? I, I saw very mixed reviews on it. Like maybe it was a little corny, maybe this, that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I highly recommend uh, American Underdog. It, I okay. it was very well done. Very well done. So Nice. Yeah, I, have, I haven't heard the best uh, of things about it. But, uh, you know, you got to give every movie a shot. I did also hear that the, the actor who plays Orlando Pace in the movie got an actual NFL contract or like what? an XFL con, like some sort of professional football contract. I think he was like a player who was trying to like make it on a, and like stars as Orlando pace in the movie and then turned that into like an actual uh, football deal. So good on that guy. It's making moves for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, that's incredible. By the yeah. way. Like that's, that's like the guy that played Michael or actually getting an NFL contract. Like, <laughs> Right. That's a great, that's a great Sandra Bullock wins an Oscar and he gets an NFL contract. I, love this I, I mean, but yeah, you know, it, Dennis Quaid plays, uh, Dick Vermeil. Right. Movie. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Mike Marks looks like a total tool when you first meet him in the movie, but you know what? Uh, I, you know what? I, like I said, I've heard very mixed reviews about it, but if you like semi corny sports films with a good story, give American underdog a shot because it's exactly that. There you go. All right. You guys, you guys have gotten some impromptu recommendations from us on things to watch, which are probably horrible recommendations. So we apologize for that, but Mitch, we should, let's not waste any more time here. Let's just jump in to this podcast. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news. Wow, quite quite enthusiastic. I like it. Hey, a lot behind that one. A lot of, yeah, a lot behind that one. Might yeah, have blown it. a blood vessel in my eye. I'm not gonna lie. Felt I felt it. Yeah, you know, felt it in my bones. <laughs> Deep down in your bones. That's what I try to bring every time. So, <laughs> uh, Mitch, let's start off with good news here. Uh, you you still have this as your Zoom background, and the and the listeners can't can't see this, but you have Rob Manfred as a clown. Uh, as you your background, which is still fitting, and he's still in the pit of misery. But baseball's back, baby. Baseball is back. The owners and the players have come to an agreement, and the season will begin on April 7th. It's just a week later 
than uh, the original start date. It'll still be a 162 game season. So uh, all that, uh, you know, is going to be normal, but baseball is back. And that is a great thing, right? Oh my God. It, it, it's a fantastic thing. I know that we have been like just fretting over the fact that we might not have, uh, you know, a good chunk of the MLB season here. It finally came. They agreed uh, on their new CBA this uh, last week. Um, some notable stuff that was a part of this uh, new CBA between the players and the owners. Uh, this is per Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Um, they have a new CBT threshold, um, which is ex- essentially the luxury tax um, that uh, that teams will have to abide to it just provides new brackets and new percentages that they will have to pay in a luxury tax if they're you know over that certain threshold for a certain period of time uh there's a new penalty tier a new minimum salary which i know was a big one that they were fighting for minimum salaries for players um a pre-arbitration bonus pool and i think the two big ones down that i think that fans are going to be really excited about is uh the new postseason format with 12 teams being a part of the postseason um, and the universal DH, the, the, the days of the hitting pitcher are over as far as major league baseball is concerned. Um, and we are now in the universal DH era of baseball. So I'm, I, I know that you and I both have thoughts about the universal DH. Um, I have to say that I'm a little bit indifferent about the postseason format that, you know, we we've seen expansion of playoffs that baseball has done over the last few years. Um, it's been a good and a bad thing, or it's been, it's been nothing but a good thing. And I think that we're all a little optimistic because baseball fans tend to be a little bit more purist than a lot of other fans. So um, we, we, we've seen good things with prior playoff expansion. This expands it out to 12 teams. So three wild cards, three division winners from each league. Um, and so it's going to be interesting uh, how that moves forward and maybe a little bit of preemptiveness into an expansion of 32 teams. Uh, from the from the thirty that we have now, so Dallin, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on maybe your your reaction to the playoff format expansion, what the players got this new collective bargaining agreement, um, and your overall feelings about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm always pro playoff expansion. To be honest with you, uh, I just think it's uh, more fun. You know, it's a more fan bases get to care about the playoffs, uh, which is what, as a fan of a major sports team, it's what you're told is all that matters, right? Is the playoffs. All that matters is the playoffs. So when less than a third of the league gets to go or, you know, like I I don't like that. I'm always a proponent of like more. And uh, I think 12 is a really good number for the 30 teams that they have. I I also do uh, as much as it was kind of fun as a novelty, the the play-in game, the one-off game, to get into the playoffs as fun as that was, I am excited to, to see that go uh, right in this new, you'd have presumably two buys and then, you know, uh, two, three game, five game, whatever series they would be. Uh, but you would kind of get rid of that one game play in, which, uh, which I am a fan of. Uh, Cause as fun as that is, it never really felt fair in all honesty. And baseball is such about uh, the long series and the long strategy, right. And winning matchups over the course of a week. 
as opposed to just over the course of uh, nine innings. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I like the playoff expansion. I'll always be a fan of that. And, and as far as the universal DH goes, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, but I look at this as simply this Mitch that now there is a new full-time position available for any baseball player out there who wants to become a legitimate DH designated hitter right before uh, this current construct of the universal DH, right? Like you could go play DH in the AL for 15 of the 30 clubs, uh, but you couldn't just limit yourself as a DH. You'd be inherently limiting your pool of available spots, right? There'd only be 15 jobs available to you. And it wouldn't be wise to pin yourself in that tight of a hole uh, to only be that guy. Now with the universal DH, uh, you can come up from college, from high school, as I'm a DH. This is what I do. I don't field, I hit. And this is, I do it very well. And like you, you can now do that, which I do think is an exciting change in baseball. Uh, it certainly changes the strategy of games. It changes the strategy of postseason in the NL. Uh, you know, you see the pitcher spot, the way that's manipulated, the way it's worked around. Uh, such an important strategy when it comes to the postseason that obviously changes. Uh, but you know, it also opens up new opportunities, which I am excited to see. Yeah. I mean, I mean, great opportunity for, to open up, you know, essentially 15 more jobs in major league baseball. Um, there's only really true two true DHs that I can think of in MLB history. That would be Edgar Martinez and David Ortiz. Yeah both AL players for their lifetime. So of course they um, had to be, you know, and they, yeah, they had to be Edgar Martinez. Couldn't go play in San Francisco. Right. Cause he, he was a third baseman by trade, but he wasn't defensively good enough to do that. So he, but he was an outstanding hitter. Um, I, I've really kind of, uh, I've, I've had a chance to let this sink in. And um, though I am more of an old head, a purist when it comes to baseball, I I've really come around to the idea of a, of a universal DH. And I like the idea. Um, I think the thing that I'm going to be most sad to see go is pitcher home runs. And you'd think of moments like mad bum pinch hitting when they have no available pinch hitters and he's a pitcher, but he also is an outstanding hitter and he's their best option. You don't get the Bartolo Cologne home run moments anymore. Um, you know, moments like that where the, those days are over, um, but it's an exciting, fresh new start uh, in, with the universal DH era in baseball. And um, it's either going to be a, a rousing success or it's going to be, you know, it's going to fall flat on its face. But I, I have high I have high hopes and I'm very optimistic for the universal DH. Yeah, I think it's fair to be sad uh, that we are going to be missing out on those uh, opportunities, as you said, the uh, the sort of just crazy stories where a pitcher makes a big hit at the right moment, the most unexpected guy on the roster. Like, I think it's fair to be sad that we're missing those and also excited about the change that the universal DH could have on the sport for better. Right. And so uh, we will certainly miss those opportunities, uh, but it will be a new era in baseball, as you mentioned with uh, this universal DH and uh, Mitch, before uh, we move on from major league baseball, we did want to address uh, a few of the bigger deals. Uh, now that the season is officially underway, it's like free agency, which had really just been halted for the last uh, three months. Plus uh, really just ramped up immediately trades, uh, 
deals being signed, et cetera. Uh, let's start with your Oakland athletics uh, who have traded away their star first baseman, Matt Olson. Uh, we've seen this story before the A's develop a great young player and trade him before they could pay him too much money. They acquire uh, four players in return. Uh, most notably there, the uh, outfielder Christian patch patch Pache, P-A-C-H-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, the Braves have gone on to sign Olsen to an eight-year, $168 million deal. So big-time money uh, for Matt Olsen. Uh, Mitch, I know this has got to hurt you uh, as an A's fan. It just just feels like every year or so this is due to happen, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really hurt because I'm used to it. Like, this is just what the A's do. And it, it, it it's not... I, it's not an organizational flaw. They're small market and players get too good. And then they can't afford to pay them. Like we get a great prospect hall. It just sucks feeling like you're the feeder organization for the rest of major league baseball. You know, you have a great farm system, historically speaking, not just in recent history, historically speaking, a fantastic farm system. You groom great players. And then they, they go off to, to greener pastures and they make, you know, they make themselves great players, hall of famers, all that stuff. And they start in this A's organization. I can be happy because I think that for the back half of last year, we thought we might lose Matt Olson to a trade anyway. Um, and the fact that we got to keep it for an extra half a year, I guess is kind of a blessing in disguise, but um, it should hurt, but I'm kind of numb to the hurt now because it just, it happens all the time because we're a small market team and we can't afford to pay big names anymore. Matt Chapman, if he turns it around, he had a down last year. If he turns it around, he'll be the next to go. So um, we also lost Chris Bassett, you know, during this, during this uh, first week of off season and stuff. So this is uh this is nothing new to me. I'm okay. I'll live. I'm still upright. We might suck this year, but you know what? In four years, five years, when we groom all this young talent, we'll be a 95-96 win team again, and we'll get to the playoffs, and we'll be in the divisional series, and then we'll do that for two, three, four years in a row, and then we won't make any runs with it, and we'll have to sell them all again. We'll never be able to make a run in Oakland. It's just just the way it is, and I'm not advocating for the team to move, but I'm I'm just going to submit to the fact that being a small market baseball fan you are just going to have to deal with the pain. And when lightning in a bottle, when you catch lightning in a bottle, savor it and, and, and enjoy it because it doesn't happen often. But, you know, it, we sell Matt also now we're in this place now. So that, that's where we're at. Well, that's wildly depressing. I, uh, I, I didn't mean to be depressing, but you know, that's a, it's a statement of fact. I just feel so bad for you because you're right. And that you know, the thing is, is like I mentioned these players that they're going to trade for. And it's like, well, in five years, the Braves are just going to trade for that guy back. What's the A's have developed him into a star and they're going to just ship Oakland, a brand new process, a bunch of prospects to develop for him over the next five days. What sucks it's, most about it is that like, we're good when they develop it. Like we're a right. good team. Well, and, and I and was going to say this, I was going to say this, Mitch, uh, this expanded playoff, if anything, a team, a, a fan like you should be excited about that because it opens up the door for teams like the athletics who can't sustain 
you know, dynasty type of runs and just pay guys and, and be there every year that when you have that one year where you're finally putting it together before you have to sell off the parts, you can make a run because you could just get there. And once you're in the postseason, now it's a series, right? The A's, if they're in there, they're always going to have this shot, you know, but teams like the A's and, and other teams like that, those small market teams aren't able to sustain that success. The expanded playoff opens the door even more for those types of teams. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it certainly does. It's just, um, and I didn't mention this, I guess, when you talked about the postseason format, thank God the wild card game is gone. Cause I think the A's lost four of those in its existence. <laughs> like, so it wasn't so necessarily helping that, you out. Thank God that one and done game is gone because so many good A's teams did not get that game. They did not, didn't get that game done, but you know, hey, it is what it is. We'll move forward, uh, start fresh, and uh, it, good luck to Matt Olson because yeah. Matt Olson really was one of my favorite guys to watch on that ace team. Uh, tons of potential, tons of power. This guy's got pop. So Yeah, and a part of that trade we wanted to mention as well, just a factor in this that hasn't sort of uh, solved itself, but, you know, will in the next few days, and, and obviously we'll talk about that when that happens, is uh, Freddie Freeman right? Uh, longtime Braves first baseman who is now seemingly on the move. And there's uh, obviously speculation that he would uh, be moving on from Atlanta or Atlanta would be moving on from him. Uh, certainly trading for Matt Olson closes the door on Freddie Freeman there. I know that there were rumors of him going to LA to Los Angeles Dodgers, which uh, would just not be surprising for the Dodgers to spend a lot of money on anybody. Uh, so wouldn't be surprised there, but that is sort of the name to watch in the domino now next uh, the big names sort of floating out there, right? Freddie Freeman and, and where he'll end up. Uh, Mitch, the other deal we I wanted to mention here is Josh Donaldson, former MVP, headed to the Yankees uh, in a trade from the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees pick up uh, Donaldson and ship off to the Twins, uh, you know, as the headliner, this Gary Sanchez uh, and Gio Urshela. So uh, this is an interesting move, I think, for the Yankees trying to, uh, you know, continue this window. It's just so fascinating to me that the Yankees have had so many good players over these uh, last few years have just completely failed to make a run, just completely failed to even get to a World Series. It's it's kind of it's kind of insane, really. I, I think we saw freakish young years from Gary Sanchez, and that's why. Like he seemed like he's that good, but I think we saw like a freakish year. He also played in Yankee Stadium, which is a very hitter friendly park. Right. Um, and when he didn't put the bat on the ball, all of a sudden we go, Oh, wow. He's really not that great of a hitter. Like he might be good defensively, but he's not that exciting of a hitter. Uh, Gio Urshela the same way, like, you know, big, big first about year and a half in the league. And then we see, we see the fall, you know, we see the fall and we go, Oh, wow. Maybe, you know, maybe he just came in hot. Um, similar to what we saw with Yasiel Puig with the Dodgers came in hot. And then all of a sudden we see the fall off and go, wow, he's really just a, a mid tier player. That is, it, it's a good replacement player at best, I guess. Um, again, Josh Johnson, a, another A's pro product, um, on the move again. Uh, and to see him in pinstripes absolutely hurts me. Um, but you know what? Uh, I've always been a Josh Donaldson fan. I've loved his fiery spirit to the game. And I think he adds a very interesting dynamic uh, to this Yankees roster who has kind of become stale over the last few years. Like they have the star power and this, and all this young talent, but they've kind of lacked 
that that fiery competitiveness um, that they that they had in guys like like Aaron Boone that they had in guys like if we, we go back even further guys like Chuck Knobloch um, they kind of lacked that I think Josh Donaldson adds a a very good um, fiery aspect to this Yankees roster and maybe this is a move that maybe he's not a big producer in this lineup but he adds a little bit of vez- fiery veteran presence to maybe push this roster over the top and make, put them back at the top of the AL East. Yeah. We'll see what kind of impact this trade will have. Uh, Certainly an interesting move from New York here. Uh, The last little bit uh, on MLB, Mitch, uh, you wanted to mention here, Fernando Tatis going to miss the first few months of the season. It seems like. Yeah. uh, Apparently he had a motorcycle accident, uh, fell off, hurt his wrist and kind of wanted to just like, you know, play it off. Not a big deal. Well, that, then he started training for baseball season again, you know, prepping for that season to start, and it really started to show. And now he's going to miss up to uh, up to three months of the first uh, first you know first part of the season uh, to a, to this wrist injury. Um, huge hit for the Padres. I know this Padres team has really been building and and seemed to have promise last year before a, a pretty steep fall off towards the end of the year that kept them out of the playoffs. So um, big hit to keep your, your, uh, what would be in NBA terms, your max contract guy out of the lineup for three months, a uh, huge hit for the Padres, but um, thankfully baseball is a long season and the turnarounds can be pretty quick in baseball when you get one guy back. So hopefully he gets back before three months and the Padres uh get on the right track, but huge hit for San Diego. Yeah, for sure. Not, not what you want to see, as you said, when uh, last year was supposed to be the year they took that leap right with that young squad and, and, and made a postseason run and they didn't do that. And so to start off uh, now this season without your star, uh, certainly not ideal there for the Padres. Uh, Midge, a little bit of NFL news. Uh, we'll talk about NFL free agency here in the back half of the podcast, but we did want to mention this in the context of uh, what has been going on, and that is uh, the Deshaun Watson uh, case. Uh, On Friday, sort of the biggest pivotal move of this uh, timeline yet, uh, his case brought before a grand jury in Texas, uh, and the grand jury uh, elected to not pursue uh, the charges, uh, the criminal charges against Deshaun Watson when it came to the sexual harassment uh, allegations. Uh, The civil cases the 22 civil complaints i believe that's the number uh against deshaun watson are are still out there uh, and he he certainly will still have to deal with those uh there's no saying yet if the nfl will suspend him or not uh even if it's for a couple of games uh they certainly could even if this uh these allegations do not reach uh, a criminal court but uh, essentially the the criminal side of this is over Uh, for Deshaun Watson, and he will not face charges unless some new evidence comes about. And so it now opens the door for him to be traded from the uh, Houston Texans because before these allegations even came out, uh, he had requested a trade from the Texans, and the Texans had sort of flirted with that. We heard throughout the season different teams uh, being interested, but it is a full go now, and that is how NFL teams are treating it. Uh, We know that today the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers flew out to meet him uh, the day that Deshaun Watson is having a deposition about his civil cases uh, today right now. Um, Atlanta Falcons are also rumored to be interested. Uh, There were there are 
are and were rumors about the Seattle Seahawks, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I mean, just kind of anybody you could think of. Uh, it seems like the NFC South teams are the most uh, likely destinations as well as the Cleveland Browns who have emerged in the last 24 hours as another potential destination. Uh, Mitch, we're not going to get into a lot of our thoughts on Deshaun Watson and the allegations uh, with civil suits, you know, civil cases ongoing uh, and all, and all of this just sort of happening. It's definitely not our place to get into, but from the football side of this, it certainly opens this door for trades. And I'm curious your thoughts on any of these destinations. Uh, the price tag will be big. We're talking three first round picks and it seems like two starters on rookie deals are, is like the baseline that the Texans are looking for uh, in a trade for Deshaun Watson. So whatever team is trading for him is giving up a lot, but any of these teams in particular, you like the fit. I mean, if I'm Cleveland, I'm trying my best. I, I it's time. I, we had just talked about moving on from Baker Mayfield. It has, to, they have to move on at some point and they have to prepare for life without Baker. Why not? move on to a, to a Deshaun Watson. Um, we know one team he's not going to, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. That just came out that you know, the, the Houston Texans do not want to trade within the division, which yeah. completely understandable. You wouldn't want to give a, a division rival, uh, your quarterback who is, you know, still, you know, even after he missed a year, still pretty talented. Um, I don't know what the best fit would be, but I, I do know that if Cleveland is uh, thinking about a future without Baker Mayfield, that they should maybe heavily consider looking into Deshaun Watson. Um, a team like a New Orleans Saints that isn't comfortable with Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston, you have to look at look at a situation like that. They don't have a quarterback in Seattle. That would be a great one to pair up with DK Metcalf. They hit, there's there, there are a lot of possibilities. Yeah, football wise, I think the Browns and the Saints make the most sense. The Falcons and Panthers make sense as a team because they're both going to be desperate. Uh, you know, but for Deshaun Watson, who does have a no trade clause and will have to agree with wherever the Texans would like to send him, uh, that which is obviously going to play a huge factor in this. I don't understand, I guess, as much. I know he's a big Falcons fan. The Falcons are big fans of him. In fact, Arthur Blake, the owner, reached out directly to Sean Watson uh, to voice his interest. And he is from the Carolinas, you know, played at Clemson. So the tide of the Panthers there, there's a hometown uh, sort of uh, that's that's element that's helping them in this case, uh, less than the football product on the field. But again, we're talking three first round picks and multiple young players on rookie contracts. Like that is a, that's a hefty price. And and will these teams be willing to push the chips all in for Deshaun Watson? We will see, as I said earlier, I'd expect in the next 48 hours, two or three days, maybe we're going to probably see something happen here. Uh, it seems like it's headed in that direction and, and teams are going to want to figure out whether they're in on him or not. Right. Cause if not, they're going to need to pivot to another option, potentially uh, like a Jimmy Garoppolo or, or maybe even a Derek Carr, if he is be available. So uh, we'll see how this goes, but certainly uh, the new, the latest development in this, as we kind of sat for a long time, just waiting for this moment for the, uh, for the criminal cases against Deshaun Watson to flush themselves out to see how this goes. And, uh, he will be on the move and uh, very shortly we'll find out where he ends up. Uh, Mitch, let's move on to some NBA storylines. We've got three storylines 
uh, from the last week. And I want to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns dropping 60 points and 17 rebounds and a win last night. And I, I thought this was interesting timing. Just this weekend, I saw this stat on Twitter that I think in the last, uh, it was either three to five seasons. I can't remember the number. Every season, there had been a 60-point game by somebody. And this season, we had yet to have a 60-point game. There had been a number of, you know, high-level, LeBron's been close, you know, a couple guys have been close, but nobody had dropped 60 until last night, and it was Carl Anthony Towns dropping 60. And uh, he's leading this Minnesota Timberwolves team to, uh, right now, a, a very solid season, 40 and 30. They've won eight of their last 10. They're right now the seven seed in the West, just a game and a half back of the six seed Denver Nuggets, uh, four and a half games up on the Clippers, who are the eight. So Minnesota, I would say, is comfortably in the playoff picture, and they still have a shot of avoiding the play-in tournament altogether, which would be a huge win for Minnesota. But even if they remained the seven seed, they would host that first game against the eight seed. You win and you're in. You lose, you host another game, and you get another shot at it. That's not a bad situation for a Timberwolves organization that needed to make the playoffs this year, right? Needed to make that leap. I didn't think they were going to, uh, but here they are, Mitch. It's been very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. And I think Cat's going to have to be the guy to lead the T-Wolves moving down the stretch. I mean, he's got great contributors like Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, but um, a, a 60-point Performance. I'm not saying he's going to have to do that every night, but he's going to have to be that leading force moving forward because he is the star on that team um, outside of Anthony Edwards. Um, he, he Great showing by him and, and Minnesota putting together a really impressive, uh, impressive season uh, coming down the home stretch. Only 12 games left in this season. Yeah, it is. It, it's we're, we're rapidly approaching the playoffs and uh, what makes watching these playoff races so fun where teams are at week by week. Uh, another team I've been monitoring, uh, just watched them defeat the Utah Jazz last night, was the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, right now, number two in the Eastern Conference, two games back of the Miami Heat, 43 and 26 on the season for the Bucks. And uh, Mitch, I'm going to be honest, I feel like we are undervaluing Milwaukee right now. I mean, this is the, the defending NBA champs. They're still top two in the East in their conference. They're still right up there. And watching them last night, and, you know, there was a question throughout the playoffs last year. I mean, it was the Giannis show. Don't get me wrong. Giannis was a, a force to be reckoned with throughout the playoffs. But the question was, could Middleton and Drew Holiday be a big three enough around Giannis to make it work? And the answer was yes, right? We saw that. And watching them beat the Jazz and down the stretch in that game, uh, those big three emerged and they played their roles perfectly and they showed up when they needed to. And I think we've undervalued how good that combo is. Those three players complement each other extremely well. Chris Middleton can take over on the offensive side when he needs to. Drew Holiday could just lock down the, the best scorer on the opposing team if he needs to. Giannis can just be Giannis if he needs to. Everybody has their role. They do it extremely well. Uh, and I think we might be overlooking the Bucks a bit right now, and and perhaps it's because uh, you know they're a new they're a new champion, right? They're just the they just won the finals last year, 
Uh, maybe we're looking at other teams in the West, but I would not sleep on the Bucks. Not be shocked if they made it back there. And and I mean, shoot, if even if they won it again, I, this team is legit. Silly how they won the title last year, and then going into this year, we were talking about four other teams that could be possibly winning winning the right. title. Um, I, the, the yeah. This team is so well built that it it I, I, it blows my mind that we're still sleeping on them as well. Um, you know, and let's not forget my boy that I said might be the key factor in uh in the finals last year. Uh, not Giannis, but Thanasis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> um, still a part of that team. Still a part of that team. Apparently, there's four of those brothers now. Um, oh, they 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 created another one. I don't know. I know in there's that three laboratory in, the in Greece. I, I thought I had something saw something about a fourth one. He might not be he might be G League, but I don't know. <laughs> but you know, um it yeah, a, a team that is just uh so well built. A, a sneaky big three in Middleton and Drew Holiday contributing to Giannis's prowess. Um, let's stop sleeping on the Bucks, I think. Let's stop yep. sleeping on them. Yeah, it was a good reminder last night watching them play that th- that team is legit. And and again, when it comes down to the playoffs and it's just, you know, who's going to be able to win a game when it matters, who can take over a game when they need to, like that is a team fully capable of doing that. And now they have the experience of accomplishing it, right? Like they went and they did it and they won a finals last year. How much more confident are they going to be this time around, uh, right? Knowing that they've already accomplished this. I think that's a factor there. Uh, Mitch, the final NBA storyline we want to mention here. Uh, and this goes along with another news note, which is that March Madness begins this week the ncaa tournament gets underway today to the tuesday night uh with the final four the 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 first four games that they play in dayton for the final four spots in the in the tournament uh that begins tonight and then the full brackets i think on thursday uh get underway so mitch march madness is around the corner and uh you know as far as the nba goes i think one of the more interesting things to watch are some of these draft prospects uh, guys playing on college teams that can really move the needle in some sort of way with a run. Uh, and I look at the three guys at the top of most NBA draft boards for the 2022 NBA draft. Uh, it's some combination of these top three guys, Chet Holmgren, the big man, seven footer from Gonzaga, Paolo Banchero, uh, the six ten freshman forward from Duke and Jabari Smith, the freshman forward from Auburn in some sort of, order those are the kind of consensus top three guys right now and all of those uh guys are playing on teams that are really high seeds gonzaga's a one seed duke's a two i believe auburn's a three seed uh or two seed we can't remember uh but those are going to be guys to watch during march madness if you're interested in the nba draft and the future stars of the league uh, those three players in particular right at the top. And then again, as as teams make runs, you're going to see NBA draft prospects rise as a result. Uh, we'll, it'll be interesting to see which sort of player emerges this year throughout this process. But always a fun time of year with March Madness. And uh, I always love looking at it with an NBA draft angle. Yeah, I, I, I don't watch college basketball quite as much as you do. And, and you do obviously with covering BYU, you see quite a bit. Um, but I, I do remember you telling me, um, about the BYU Gonzaga matchup earlier this year. And you said, go watch the highlights of that and watch Chet Holmgren. <laughs> yes. Uh, guy's an absolute animal. I mean, a, a seven foot, uh, 200 pound 
center type, but plays kind of like a, a, a stretch four. I mean, this guy is, shoots is, over forty percent from three point land and averages like three blocks a game. I mean, he guy, is guy's incredible. Yeah. So and it just a little fun fact: if Duke and Gonzaga both advance in their side of the bracket, we will have a Holgrim Paolo Benchero matchup in the Elite Eight, which will be in the Elite Eight at the Chase Center. In which, will, in the, which which is a great venue a for lot a of big fun. time matchup. Those guys will probably be facing each other off at NBA venues uh, pretty soon afterwards, right? When they uh, head to the NBA. But uh, Mitch, that's it for our NBA storylines here. Let's do a quick update on the Kraken, Mitch. Uh, hey, the good news out of the Kraken this week. No L's in the loss column this week. Let's go! No L's on the loss column. Only two games since we last recorded. Uh, an overtime loss to Ottawa and a shootout win against Montreal. So the overtime loss counts as one of those extra, you know, it's not as bad as a loss. So we go one Oh, and one over the last two games. Uh, they play the lightning tomorrow night, Wednesday night. So, uh, you know, I thought it was positive that uh, they ended the five game roads road trip uh, with, you know, the overtime loss and then the shootout wins. So, you know, we take them, we take them when we get them, right? We don't we don't complain. No, we don't complain at all. I mean, a game we should beat, a game we should win, beating the Canadians um, in a shootout, uh, 4-3. And then, you know, we took the Senators deep. We yep. took the Senators deep and a- another team that we should be playing competitive. So it's, it's better than the last few weeks that we've had to report on the crack and we're right. losing games uh, hand over fist. So um, a good... One week stretch. I know it's only two games, but uh, better than what we've had over the last month or so from the from the Kraken. So absolutely, uh, and we're still we're still in contention for that number one spot. So if we lose the rest of the year, I I'll be okay with it. We get we're we get all the number right. one pick. We're all right. Give me the Canadian superstar. That's what I want. The eighteen year old phenom. I don't know who he is yet, but whoever it is, that's the guy we want. I'm just assuming there's one, Mitch. I don't know. I don't know how the hockey drafts work, but I'm just assuming there's some Canadian phenom who's usually someone at the top named, of the draft board. Someone named Jacques. All right, Mitch, before we wrap up the news here, let's uh, – we got to talk our weekly NASCAR update. Uh, Mitch has been keeping track. We were in Phoenix this weekend, right? And uh, first time victor on the series, right? Yeah, uh, Chase Briscoe, who uh, who has filled in in the famed number 14, uh, previously driven by Tony Stewart, then Clinton Boyer. Now we have Chase Briscoe, the young phenom, uh, who had been in previous years lighting it up in the Xfinity Series. He gets his first career win at Phoenix um, in fairly dominating fashion. I mean, he led over 100 laps in this race. A, a more subdued race than we than what we've had in the previous weeks. Um, so a a good performance from Chase Briscoe, Tyler Reddick, or sorry, Ross Chastain, bringing home his second top, his second consecutive top three finish. Um, this is actually four out of the first five races for Trackhouse Racing. They get in the top five. Uh, Tyler Reddick coming home third, Blaney in fourth, Kurt Busch. Uh, racing for 2311. That is Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin's team uh, coming home in fifth. Interesting fact about Chase Briscoe. He is the 200th different winner in cup series history. Um, so 200 
different guys have won a race in the Cup Series now after Chase Briscoe's win. Uh, just a little uh, fun history fact. Jim Roper was the inaugural uh, NASCAR sanctioned winner at Charlotte in 1949. Number 50 was Jack Smith at Martinsville in 1956. Uh, Mario Andretti, little fun fact, his lone NASCAR victory in the Daytona 500 in 1967. He became the 100th unique driver in NASCAR history to win a race. Uh, Joe Nemechek in 99 at New Hampshire, and now Chase Briscoe, number 200 at Phoenix. So um, fun little uh, deep dive statistic uh, for you NASCAR fans out there. But Chase Briscoe ran a great race, another great race at uh, a the, the new configuration that they've been running at Phoenix over the last few years. Um, uh, a, a continue, continued uh, good racing with this next-gen car. So um, a little bit more subdued, like I said, in previous weeks, not as much controversy movement, you know, uh, issues. So we're starting to start kind of see it clean up. Next week, we look, we go to Atlanta. So um, we'll be, we'll be headed down to the state of Georgia for next week's race. Um, uh, lots of exciting stuff coming up down the pipe for NASCAR. So. Very nice. Well, thank you for the update as always, Mitch. It's great little nuggets there. Uh, the 200th, uh, different winner on the cup series. That is, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I guess kind of fun, kind of a fun title to hold. Yeah, I guess. So. Even if you don't win another one, at least you got that right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mitch, uh, before, uh, I guess as we continue, it's time to do the Forgotten All-Star in the top five. If you don't mind, because I am the opener and you're the headliner here, uh, I'd love to start with the Forgotten All-Star, if that's okay. Sure, sure, absolutely. All right, so I've got a Forgotten All-Star for Mitch this week, and if you're new to the podcast or you've just forgotten, uh, I've got a player who has made at least one all-star in their respective uh, sport. I've got three hints for Mitch, and he's got three guesses to name the player. It's a simple game we like to play. So, Mitch, today's player is an NFL player. Ooh, okay. He is the, your first hint here. Is this player is a current player? Okay. He is a under 30 year old wide receiver. Okay. So a current under 30 year old wide receiver. He has had three straight 1,000 yard seasons over the last three years. Okay. Three straight 1,000 yard receiving seasons over the last three years. And he has only made one Pro Bowl, which came in his rookie season, and it came as a special teamer. Ooh. A special teamer made a Pro Bowl in his rookie yes. season. So one more time on the hints, and we'll get some guesses from Mitch. We're talking about a current player who is a wide receiver who's under 30. They've had three straight 1,000-yard receiving seasons over the last three years. And they've made one Pro Bowl, which happened in their rookie season, and it came as a special teamer. So, Mitch, where do you, you got three guesses here. Where do you want to start? You brought the gas here. So, all right. Thousand, three consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Made a Pro Bowl as a rookie. 
Currently active under 30. Oh, Dallin. This is a tough one. You give me two guesses and I'll give you a hint. Okay. I've got a good hint for you, but you got to give me at least two names first. Okay. Um, I don't think he's under 30 anymore. But he might be, so I'll take a step. Cordell Patterson. Ooh, that's a good guess, but that is not correct. Okay. All right. not the player we are talking about here. Special teamer. That should be the helping one. That should be the one that helps. Let's go with Devontae Parker. It is not Devontae Parker. Okay. But another good guess. Mitch's guess, Cordero Patterson and Devontae Parker. We're looking for a current player, wide receiver, under 30 years old, three straight thousand yard seasons. And made a Pro Bowl in his rookie year as a special teamer. Mitch, I got two little hints for you here. One, okay. he's currently on an NFC team. Okay. And this player could potentially be on the move this offseason. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um. I, oh, I don't know. I think this, but you know what? I am going to go with Chris Godwin. It is not Chris Godwin. It is not Chris Godwin. And with that, Mitch, the player, the forgotten all-star that we're looking for is Tyler Lockett. I almost went Tyler Lockett. God dang it. Tyler Lockett. Crazy. He's a one-time Pro Bowler. It came, wanted- in a, and it came in a season where he had 664 receiving yards on 51 receptions. He made it as a kick returner. And with three straight 1,000-yard receiving seasons, a year that he had 100 receptions and 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns in 2020, he still hasn't made a Pro Bowl for that. Crazy. You know what held me up from guessing Tyler Lockett? was at the same time that he was in those young years and could have made it in those thousand year receiving years, they had a young return man by the name of Ricardo Lockett. Mm, yes. And I was like, nope, that was the Lockett that returned kicks. <laughs> I, and I, that <laughs> held me up. Damn it. Ah, that's a good use the Lockets. Well, it's a great, a good- is, oh, thank you, man. It was a great try on your end. Uh, they, listen, these aren't easy. I certainly didn't get, uh, get the last one that you threw on me. Uh, which he's only made one pro bowl by the way like exactly and and again none of them for his thousand yard receiving seasons of which he's had multiple you know it's crazy that's crazy so uh mitch that well that's it for the forgotten all-star you have a top five for us i do have a top five for you and down we're we're in free agency season like we said that is going to be the the big segment of today's show um so i think it's only appropriate that we uh, recognize that not every free agent signing is a good one. There are a lot of bad ones out there, and I think it's time we recognize some of them. So on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's Top 5 List of the Week, we are going to do the top five worst free agent signings of all time in the NFL. Yes, I love this. This is a great, this this is a perfect list for today. Now, look, I want to extend this question out to the listeners. Go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys 
And if I miss one, tell me about it. Let me know because guess what? There are so many that it's, I'm bound to miss a few. Okay. And maybe my, maybe you think my list sucks and you go on there, Mitch, your list sucks. You missed this one. Let me know about it. Get on anchor.fm slash sports hour guys. Let me know. We want to extend. I want to extend this top five out to you guys to be a part of the conversation, but let's start off with a couple honorable mentions. I want to do Namdi Asimov when he signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, left the Raiders, uh, was a total disaster um, with the Eagles. Josh Norman, when he left uh, Carolina, went to Washington, turned out to be a disaster. Neil O'Donnell, which uh, it might not strike everyone's attention, but he actually made a Super Bowl appearance with the Steelers in the mid-90s, then was signed to the Jets by Richie Kotite. Um, only played six games and the Jets went one and 15 in his inaugural season with the Jets um, after receiving a, a big contract. So um, Neil O'Donnell there. And then I also put down Le'Veon Bell, a more recent one, uh, the, another Jets, a poor Jet signing that uh, paid out the money above market value for running backs. And it just came right back in their face. Um so those are the honorable mentions, but let's get into the list. And down, I hate to kick off number five here with this, but I wait, have- wait, hold on, hold on. You, I just want to say that before we started, you said I was gonna love number five, and now well, you're starting this with I hate to start with this. This seems like mixed signals you're sending me here. Am I not actually gonna like this? Look, I don't want to put your actual job in jeopardy, but I need to start with uh, one of your KSL colleagues, number five, Scott Mitchell. Oh, um, Scott. <laughs> I love this. Yes, yes, he probably deserves uh, to be on this. Scott, Mitch- Scott Mitchell, 19, uh, early 1990s, backing up Dan Marino. Dan Marino goes down in 93. Uh, he makes a few starts and has a few great games for the for the Dolphins. Steps in, big guy, 6'6", 235, left-handed quarterback. Um, all of a sudden, keep in mind, this is 1994, so the money's a little bit different. But 1994, Detroit sends him a three-year, $11 million deal as a 26-year-old. And uh, he comes in, and actually his first year is pretty abysmal. Uh, only nine starts, 10 touchdowns, 11 interceptions uh, on less than 50% completion uh, uh, completion percentage. Um he comes back in 95, though, and actually puts up a good year. 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, over 4,300 yards. The Lions go 10 and 6. Um, a great a great season. But then he follows it up with a 4 and 10 season in 96 with the Lions. Um, 17 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Um, again, dipping below for the third consecutive. For actually, he never eclipsed 60% completion percentage throughout his entire career. Um, just not worth the money. And I don't want to put your job in jeopardy. I'm sure he doesn't <laughs> listen to this, but Scott Mitchell, number five on the list. And you know what? From what I've heard from you, good guy, good guy. Oh, but yeah. he, was a, he was a terrible free agent signing. Listen, I, I, I love this. Uh, Scott Mitchell is a great guy. Uh, I love working with Scott. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, he would never admit it, but I'm sure he'd understand being on here. You know, like it is, it is what it is. You know, he, he speaks hot fondly of the days handing the ball off to Barry Sanders and the occasional completion to Herman Moore. And, you know, that's great. But, uh, 
Yeah, didn't quite live up to, and that's why you don't pay a back somebody else's backup quarterback to be your starter. It just, you know, that he never proven he could be the full time starter. We see this time and time again in the NFL. Backup QBs who somebody thinks, oh, he could be our guy, and you know what? Most of the time, they don't end up as your guy. They just don't. Hey, and don't worry, Scott, you're not the only backup to get paid big money that's on this list. So, oh, there we go. Uh, All so right, little little teaser. Uh, Number four on the list, we're going to go with Amon Green. Uh, Amon Green was a standout running back with the Green Bay Packers uh, from the from the beginning of the aughts through 2006, uh, rushing for a thousand yards in five and six of those seven seasons. Um, he had his big year in 2003 with 1,883 yards. Um, and 15 touchdowns guy was an absolute monster in 2003, 2007 rolls around though. And the Houston Texans are looking to make a move move. They offer Amon green, a four year, $23 million contract as a 30 year old who has been often injured. I just want to give you a little bit of his rushing stats. 70 care in 2007, 70 carries, 260 yards. 2008, 74 carries, 294 yards. 2009, he goes back to Green Bay with 160 yards. So in that two-year stint, he rushed for roughly six, you know, under 600 yards. That equates out to $41,000 per rushing yard that this guy made. <laughs> um, often injured, never quite healthy. This was clearly a guy that had nothing left in the tank. Uh, he was all used up after his years in Green Bay. And uh, Houston just offered him an awful contract in pursuit of, of turning the turning their franchises, you know, turning a quarter for the franchise. So I'm on green number four on this list. Okay. Yeah. Number three seems funny to put a guy like this on the list, but it has to be done. Number three on this list is Emmett Smith. Now Emmett Smith will, if you do remember, spent the last two of his two years of his career in Arizona, 2003 and 2004, um, he rushed, uh, your rushing stats for him night in 2003, 90 carries, 256 yards in 2004. He actually carried the ball 267 times, but only for two for 937 yards. That's about three and a half a carry, um, on a two year, $8 million contract seems pretty inconsequential with the numbers, but when it comes out to $31,000, a rushing yard, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, and the fact that you're even offering a guy like that 33, so actually he was going into his age 34 season and offering him a multi-year deal uh, after he's been a workhorse for these Dallas Cowboys teams leading up to this seems pretty, pretty silly to be offering a guy that kind of deal. So Emmett Smith, number two on the list or number three on the list, excuse me. Number two on the list is uh, our old friend, Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler makes this list. If we also remember, he was a backup in Denver. Yes. Gets offered the big fat deal after the 2015 season. I believe he was the backup for Peyton Manning in that last little Super Bowl run that he had in 2015. 2016, he gets the offer. Four years, $72 million to come be the starting quarterback of the Houston Texans. And during his tenure, he throws more and only one season, excuse me, one season in Houston. 
He throws 15 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. He completes 59% of his passes for less than 3,000 yards and 14 starts. Um, the very next year, he is back in Denver as a backup. Uh, last we saw of him, he was a 28-year-old in 2018 in Miami where he only made five starts, and we haven't seen him in the league since. Uh, Brock Osweiler, whoa, excuse me. Brock Osweiler, a immense waste of money for the Houston Texans. He is number two on the list. Number one, though. And you could really put a whole hell of a lot of people in this spot uh, with the same organization, uh, which would be anyone that signs with Washington. They have a knack for <laughs> signing really bad free agents. But I had to pick one, and I went with Albert Hainsworth that signed with the uh, with the uh, Washington then – I can't say that name anymore. Um, the, then Now Washington Commanders. As a 28-year-old in 2009, he was offered seven years, $100 million, which in today's money would be $121.6 million. Um, the guy was lazy. He was just absolutely lazy. You didn't know if he was going to run wind spritz. Uh, he was a dirty player. He was, you didn't know if he was going to be healthy or not. He sometimes just flat out didn't want to play. It was like he got his money, took, and then went home. He did not want to be in Washington, but he took the highest payer. Um, in fact, he was only there for two years, only recording six and a half sacks during his time in Washington. Uh, he spent uh, time in 2011 with two teams that would be uh, New England and Tampa Bay, but uh, has been out of the league since then. Uh, Albert Hainsworth, the most disgusting waste of money in, in NFL history, in my mind. And wow. I think and I think that there are, are plenty of other candidates for that, but Albert Hansworth stands out amongst the rest of the crowd. Yeah, Mitch, I'm on board with that. I think, oh, first off, great list. Uh, I think you're right there on Hainsworth as the number one, uh, just because they got just so little for such a big contract. Oh, you know? yeah. And, you know, it is, I think it's very interesting, you know, your list and the positions highlighted, right? Old running backs, backup quarterbacks, and paying high, you know, top of the market value for a, uh, no, I don't want to say low impact position, but defensive tackle is not the most important position out there. Right. So it, that is uh, sort of interesting when you look at that, you know, where teams usually make that mistake and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what, uh, probably not going to see many teams overpaying for older running backs nowadays, uh, but certainly the backup quarterback, overpaying to get one of those guys. We see teams trade and spend a lot of money. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about a couple interesting quarterback moves in the, in the NFL free agency already. Uh, not, not nearly to maybe this scale, uh, but certainly uh, interesting there with this conversation. Great list, my friend. All right, Mitch, as we wrap up the first half of the podcast here, we have to do our player to know before the NFL draft last week, we talked about the rising a star from the NFL Combine, Trayvon Walker, the edge from Georgia, who's rising into the top 10, even top five of NFL draft boards. I'd like to focus over the next month or so here, as we have about you know a month to six weeks till the NFL draft, on some more mid or late round prospects of guys that I'm pretty high on that I think are going to turn out better than they get drafted. Uh, we've highlighted a lot of the first round prospects, especially the early prospects. So we'll focus on some more mid-round guys, and let's start with a wide receiver here who uh, 
you know, could maybe go in the second round is more likely a third round pick. But I think that this is the position and the part of the draft to watch every single year. We see second and third round wide receivers turn out as some of the best of their draft class way ahead of guys who get drafted in the first round and teams always covet high end production out of college or physical traits that, you know, as far as speed or size that really make guys outliers. And if you don't match those categories, you're going to slip a bit. And I think that's the case for this player here. And that is Justin Ross, the wide receiver out of Clemson. Now, Justin Ross was a big time player out of high school, was the, was a top 50 player, four-star recruit, number one recruit in the state of Alabama, spurned the Crimson Tide to join Dabo Swinney at Clemson. And in those first two seasons, and in particular his freshman season in 2018, Justin Ross looked like an NFL wide receiver. He had a 91.4 PFF grade in 2018, which was good for second uh, among all wide receivers. Uh, Followed up a fantastic freshman season with a very solid uh, sophomore season. Each of those seasons had at least 800 receiving yards, uh, at least eight touchdowns. Uh, in 2020, he has a congenital spine fusion condition that causes surgery, keeps him sidelined throughout that season. And last season in 2021, uh, had a underwhelming season, 500 receiving yards, three touchdowns, uh, opted out of the bowl team to prepare for the draft. Certainly Clemson was not the same place post Trevor Lawrence as they were with Trevor Lawrence there where he succeeded the most. Uh, but Ross is, sort of dipped on radars uh, after the injury and the subsequent underperforming in 2021. But I think that this guy has all the makings to be a successful NFL wide receiver. He doesn't have the type of speed and he, and he won't test with the type of speed and agility that a lot of the top guys will, but he's got a great frame at six, four, 200, 32 inch arms, uh, nine and a half inch hands, Uh, He's got the size to be that possession type wide receiver. I think of like at its peak, you're thinking of like a Michael Thomas Mm. type of player, right? I think that that is obviously like the ceiling for a player like this, but we see players like this come in more competent in the NFL than guys that go higher than that. Maybe have higher upside, but the ceiling is lower or the floor is lower. I think Justin Ross has a high floor in the NFL, I like him in in ways similar that I liked like a Rashad Bateman in last year's draft, right? A possession type wide receiver who wasn't going to test off the charts, doesn't have amazing speed, uh, but a good route runner, good pass catcher uh, is just going to be able to fit into any NFL team really and work. And I think Ross is going to be overlooked and, and, and there's, there's mixed opinion on him. The NFL's uh, Lance Zerline has him as an average, just backup at best. That's probably a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, Nate Tyson, the Bleacher report has him as a late first, early second uh, has him in a mock draft going 32 overall, right? Like you're going to get mixed opinion on here. I think more than likely he's a third round pick, but a guy who if in his rookie year, he is top five in production among rookie wide receivers. And he's the 10th wide receiver selected in the draft. I would not be surprised. I think he's going to come in and be uh, pretty good, pretty quick. 
Uh, and if you're a playoff team or a team that needs a guy to contribute early, this would be the kid that I'd be looking at. So Justin Ross, wide receiver from Clemson, that's the player to know before the NFL draft this week. Yeah, I mean, if the Jaguars took any notes from what the Bengals did with Jamar Chase, maybe they have a early third round pick. Maybe they go after like a guy like Justin Ross to pair up with Trevor Lawrence, a little mm. bit of familiarity. Yeah. Um, a guy that might he might have a, a little bit of rapport with um to 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 pair up with with Trevor Lawrence. So uh if they pick 65th overall, which is like fourth or fifth in the third round. So um if he's if if we're projecting out a a a third round a late second maybe early third round pick this might be a direction the Jaguars may consider going. I like that, Mitch. I, I don't think you can go wrong with pairing these guys up with uh with pro- uh, guys they've proven to be successful with, right? And obviously, Justin Ross, uh, Trevor Lawrence had a great connection there in 2018, and 19, as you mentioned. Uh, I yeah, and that's about the right range. I love that. It's a great uh, it's a great call there. So. Uh, Mitch, that's it for the player to know before the NFL draft. That's it for the news. That's it for the first half of this podcast. We're going to take a break and hit a mid-roll. And when we come back, uh, we're going to get into NFL free agency, break down the deals, uh, react to those most uh, impactful moves, and look at every NFL team and what has happened in these first couple days. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys, and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back to the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Hope you had a nice little break here. Uh, Dallin, it's free agent time in the NFL and we got a ton of free agency signings to go through too many to spend too much time on. So let's just, let's just start at the top and get going with, with the slew of free agent signings that we have to go through. Let's start with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, multiple signings that they brought in. Uh, any, yeah. any, any of these stand out to you as significant uh, deals? Yeah, well, so just as a preface for those listening, I'm sure you understand, but we are recording this on the 15th of March. It's 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 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. So if anything has happened since then and we don't mention it, uh, it's because it happened after we recorded and we didn't have the information. So we're doing this as up to date here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Cardinals, uh, you know, the main moves right now are just main keeping some of the pieces they had already, right? We signing Colt McCoy as a backup quarterback. Uh, James Conner coming back on a three-year, $21 million deal there. And Zach Ertz, who they traded for last season from the Eagles, back on a three-year, uh, $31 million deal. Uh, maybe it's a little pricey on some of those guys. Uh, $10, $10 million a year for Zach Ertz. Uh, maybe that's a little rich. Maybe you could go other places. But they did trade a draft pick for him, right? So you certainly have to retain that asset or... Uh, what was the point in trading for him? And so uh, I don't have any issues with any of these in particular. I think it's smart to bring back most of this roster. 
certainly interested to see where their free agent like Chandler Jones ends up. It doesn't look like he's going to end up back in Arizona, but uh, they have other moves to make. But so far, these are, I think, smart moves. I, I don't have any issues here. Yeah, yeah, pretty uh Pretty bland start for the Arizona Cardinals. Nothing flashy, like you said, the James Conner thing. I would like to call Zach Ertz the bird man from now on because I think that he is going to retire from the NFL with a bird as his mascot. So Zach the bird man Ertz <laughs> will – well, for that, that's what he is to me now. That's what he is. Okay, so he can only play for like the Eagles, the Ravens, the Falcons. Like there's only so many places he can he can go – in his NFL career, even yeah, if he, he can't go play for the he can't go he play hawks. for the Bills. I mean, he right. can't do that. Oh, he's got quite a few options actually. There's a lot of birds out there in the NFL, so yeah, he's the birdman. He's the okay. All right, we have Chris the Birdman right in the NBA. Played for played with LeBron on the Miami Heat. Now we have Zach the Birdman Ertz. I love it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Mitch uh, the Atlanta Falcons. The one notable move they've made so far is resigning their kicker. Young Hoku to a five-year, $24 million deal. Young Hoku kind of getting the bag here. Yeah. Yeah. Five years, 24 and a quarter million dollars. Um, bag of the, I hate to, I hate to steal uh, our good friend Jimmy Johnston's uh, uh, name for, but the, the thirsty young Ho bringing in, bringing in the money. I mean, that's a fat contract for a kicker, and they're obviously uh, committed to him, and at least they're going to get points somehow, and Young Hoku's the guy. They they spent the money on him, I guess. I guess other positions don't matter for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I mean, they're... (laughs) They're certainly in a bad spot, uh, bad spot on, on the roster. There's, uh, you know, see, see where, where they go. Uh, I mean, good to lock down a good young kicker, but uh, certainly need a lot more work. We'll, we'll see what other moves the Falcons make. Uh, good, to, good to lock down the young kicker. Um, you know, we, we mentioned them in the sweepstakes currently for Deshaun Watson potentially. So, you know, maybe that's their, maybe that's their big move. Uh, they don't have a lot of room to work with with that Matt Ryan contract. Uh, certainly not a good spot for the Falcons. Uh, Mitch, Baltimore Ravens. This this is a this is a pretty big signing here. Ravens are bringing in safety Marcus Williams uh, from the New Orleans Saints on a five year, seventy million dollar contract. And Mitch, uh, you know, for a safety. Uh, this is pretty good money for one of the best young safeties in the league, but it's not surprising for a Baltimore team. That's always valued the safety position, right? Think about, you know, all the great safeties they've had in the past and their willingness to spend money on those guys. Uh, not surprising that they'll bring in uh, a player of this, this caliber and, and certainly uh, a very talented player at that. I like this acquisition for the Ravens defense. Yeah, I like it as well. Um, a, a team that struggled against the pass at times last year. So um, for them to bring in a good young piece like Marcus Williams um, on a big contract uh, makes a ton of sense. So I love the I love the Marcus Williams signing. I think this is going to be a great addition for Baltimore. Um, following the Ravens, the Buffalo Bills have had a had a couple signings. Uh, nothing really much of note here. Um, I guess the only thing that would maybe muddle up some conversation would be the the two year seven million dollar contract to JD McKissick. Um, I know that the Bills 
rush game has been uh, the subject of question over the last couple of years with the combination of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. It seems like a pretty lateral move to bring in a JD McKissick, a guy that maybe provides some uh, value catching the ball out of the backfield, but he's not a workhorse back by any means. No, I mean, well, they're not bringing him in to do that either. Two years, $7 million, right? So three and a half million dollars a year to be that pass catching threat, which is an element of this offense that they are missing. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they're not, that's not their skill set, right? That's not where they're making their money. And that's exactly what you know J.D. McKissick can do, right? That's what he can do very well. And so bringing him in as a compliment to the offense, I do like that addition. Uh, They are going to bring in Roger Saffold as well, who had been released from Tennessee uh, guards, 33 years old. So, uh, you know, he's on the, uh, sort of maybe the wrong end of his career. It sounds mean. I don't mean mean, but uh, but it is a good, important piece to bring in veterans, short an offensive line when you're committed to uh, Josh Allen and this and this young quarterback here. So I did like that move as well. All right, Mitch, my Panthers, Carolina up next. Uh, they've made a couple marginal moves, which I am a fan of. They they are in the mix with this Deshaun Watson thing, and the quarterback position is going to be the biggest sort of story out of Carolina this offseason is how they address that. But in the meantime, uh, made some good additions, bringing in offensive guard uh, Austin Corbett from the Rams on a three-year uh, $29 million contract. He's a solid guard that, Definitely shores up the interior of this offensive line, which was vastly needed. Also bringing in Xavier Woods, the safety from the Cowboys safety, uh, big positional need for Carolina as well. Uh, I think they addressed those two positions in a very sound way. They didn't overpay. They didn't get guys on the wrong end of their careers. Uh, good value for good players that whether they get to Sean Watson or they trot out Sam Darnold or go a different direction at quarterback that no matter what, those guys are going to help your team next year. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, nothing groundbreaking, but solid moves for Carolina. Yeah, very solid moves for Carolina. I mean, you can't go wrong with signing another offensive lineman who, who no matter who's under center next year for the Carolina Panthers, got to be able to protect them. So I love the signing of Austin Corbett. And I really like the Xavier Wood signing as well. Um, got to shore up the defense a little bit. Um Pass offenses have been known to collapse across the NFL from time to time. And the Panthers are no, no stranger to that over the last couple of years. So signing a veteran safety like that for, for an affordable price, a good ad for the Carolina Panthers. Let's move over to my boys though. My boys, the bears uh, signing Bengals defensive tackle, Larry Ogunjobi uh, three years, 40 and a half million dollars Uh you had to find someone to replace Eddie Goldman once he left. Um, this is a, a this is best case scenario, I think, as far as, as finding a replacement for Goldman. Um, a veteran defensive tackle, um, maybe a little bit overpaid, which it, the Bears are no stranger to doing to maybe some older some older players. But you know what? I don't hate it because I think he's going to add just as much value to Goldman. And maybe that's a little optimistic, but I like the signing that they have in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good pickup for the Bears. Ogunjobi uh, has shown out really well in his career. And, and and you're right, it probably is a bit of an overpay. I did hear this perspective, though, which I thought was fair. Uh, when you uh, when you consider Matt Eberflus and where he comes from in Indianapolis uh, and how important it was with that defense that they had a defensive tackle, a, a, you know, a, a one-tech guy that can 
penetrate, right? Get penetration on the offensive line. And they traded a first round pick for DeForest Buckner to get that level of guy. And that's certainly what Larry Joby can do. And so, yeah, you might be overpaying for him, but that's the exact type of guy you need in this new defense. Uh, so you have to secure that. And, and he's a solid player to get. So, yeah, I, I like that pick, even if it was a bit of an overpay, perhaps, uh, but a good, a good spot there for, uh, for the Bears. Mitch, the Bengals already working on protecting Joe Burrow next season. They have brought in former Bucks guard Alex Capon, a four-year, $40 million deal, as well as signing uh, Ted Karras, the center from the Patriots, three years, $18 million. Uh, this this is exactly what you want to see from the, from the Bengals. Just throw resources at the offensive line. Uh, I mean, that first round pick in the NFL draft is likely going to be on on an offensive lineman as well. Like you don't have to be done. And it certainly doesn't keep them out of any other players because that's not a lot of money. But they've used their money very wisely here, uh, shoring up the interior offensive line there for the Bengals. I think these are solid, solid moves to help Joe Shiesty. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that was one of those things that we had mentioned that they needed to do, which was protect Joe Burrow and find a way to, to build up that offensive line. Like he was hit at a historic mark in uh, these last playoffs. In fact, I have it on my notes from our AFC team needs episode O line underlined four times. We have to, you have to protect Joe Shiesty. Um, You have to protect, protect him at all costs. And Alex Kappa, um, a, a guy that we knew that could be on the move from Tampa Bay. He goes to uh, Cincinnati, uh, Ted Karras, another one of those guys. I think also a very important move that they made here was franchise te- franchise tagging Jesse Bates, uh, a very talented young safety uh, that was an integral part of that Bengals defense that made that run that they did in the playoffs. Um, another uh, a huge move that uh, that they made that they needed to get done. For sure, absolutely, uh, Mitch Cleveland Browns. Uh, just a handful of moves, right? Trading for Amari Cooper, uh, nonetheless. Uh, you know, the Amari Cooper trade was interesting, right? Cooper essentially goes for sixth round swaps, uh, but really a fifth round pick. And in a large part, uh, the price for him was so low, but because of the $20 million cap hit that the Browns are taking on with that contract for the next two years. And that amount of money for one player was uh, going to mean that the draft capital in return wasn't going to be uh, maybe close to the uh, what you would think for a player of that caliber, right? Amari Cooper, you'd think at least a third-round pick, right? He's a very good wide receiver. Uh, but that contract, it's going to be tough. So, you know, Browns bring in Amari Cooper. They release Jarvis Landry. Uh, that's basically their moves. They made some marginal moves around, you know, kind of around that. They they swapped uh, out linebackers with Winov- Chase Winovich and Mac Wilson with the Patriots. Uh, so other than that, not much. But this Cooper thing is the big move. I do like this for Baker. I do like this for the Browns. Adding a, a good weapon who I think still has a lot. I mean, he's only twenty eight years old. Like we think of Amari Cooper, like he's this old man. He's he's still in the prime of his career. I think he could be very good in Cleveland. Uh, so I, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just really hope that Amari Cooper does not go the way of OBJ. I really, I really, really hope that they find a, that either Baker Mayfield figures it out or that Amari Cooper, um, is more effective than what OBJ was in Cleveland, that they find a way to get him to be a part of the offense because they didn't find a way for OBJ to be a part of that. 
Um, I think my favorite move of this is Chase Winovich. Chase Winovich uh, adds to a Cleveland defense that was down last year, but on paper looks really, really good. So I really like the Chase Winovich trade, a guy that's coming from a Belichick system, knows uh, the very good, sound, fundamental player. Um, I like that ad for them. Uh, Down, let's go to the uh, Dallas Cowboys, America's team, in quotations, I will add. Um, Doing kind of lateral moves here. They they re-signed Michael Gallup, five years, 62 and a half. Uh, they have to lock up one of those guys long-term uh, after losing Amari Cooper. Dalton Schultz gets the franchise tag. They do get Malik Hooker back, uh, two years, $8 million. Um, a lot of lateral moves for the Cowboys. Looks like they're just trying to retain as much as possible uh, after losing Amari Cooper. Yeah, well, and and they did lose Cedric Wilson as well. Uh, they did right. resign Demarcus Lawrence uh, to a three-year, thirty million dollar deal there. So that is a good value to retain uh, Lawrence there. But I think this Gallup is a really good value there, right? Five years, sixty-two million for a guy who has shown really well. And uh, yes, he had a serious injury last year. We don't know how he's going to recover from that. But you're fully invested in CD Lamb, right? Gallup is supposed to be that complimentary piece. And at that number, if he lives up to that, that's a huge value uh, for the Cowboys. So I think that's a worthwhile risk there uh, for Dallas to bring him back at that number. And, uh, you know, we'll see uh, what other moves they can make. Uh, Mitch, Denver Broncos, uh, not a lot of free agent moves outside of the acquisition of Russell Wilson, aside from the uh, sort of drama today where they kind of snuck in and stole Randy Gregory away from the Cowboys. It looked like Gregory was set to return to Dallas. In fact, like the Dallas Cowboys Twitter account, like tweeted it out, like it was on its way. And then not so fast. Randy Gregory ends up in Denver on a five-year $70 million deal. Uh, Denver shoring up the defensive line to make a push with Russell Wilson uh, it, it's quite a bit of money. It seems like a risky move. Not one I would have made for the cow for the Broncos. Certainly an interesting move. Well, I mean, I think the Broncos are all in. So like, let's spend the extra money. Yeah. If we could shore up the defensive line with, with, you know, we got Bradley Chubb on the other side. Um, with this move, Von Miller is not going back to Denver. Let's just make that clear right now. Von Miller is not going back to Denver. Um, you have to make the move somehow. You made the move with Russell Wilson, and it, it just solidifies for me that they're they are all in. Um, maybe overpaid, but not overvalued. I think that Randy Gregory is going to bring a lot to this Denver defense, um, and it just makes the AFC West that much more stacked. I yeah, mean, well, if we, if we thought they were stacked yesterday, they're even more stacked today. So, and I guess I do want to add here on the contract, it is only 28 million guaranteed. So, likely at the worst, it's a two year, 28 million dollar contract, 14 million a year for a pass, uh, pass rusher, uh, is not bad. And you're not, you know, necessarily committed to that big contract. So, if he does hit, uh, you know, could, could pay off well for Denver, as you said, they are all in as. Uh, as they should be. Mitch, the Detroit Lions uh, making some moves around the edges, bringing in DJ Chark on a one-year $10 million deal to uh, help out quarterback Jared Goff. That's kind of about it. Besides re-signing a couple of their own players, Josh Reynolds, Charles Harris, uh, Tim Boyle, 
DJ Chark, uh, interesting in this wide receiver market where Christian Kirk gets the absurd amount of money he got, which we will get to very quickly. Uh, and DJ Chark only gets one year's 10 mil. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's fine in Detroit, but clearly kind of seems like guys chasing the $10 million check this year and hoping free agency does them a little better in 2023. Yeah. A step backwards, I think for DJ Chark, I don't like the fit in Detroit. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown seemed to be a, a guy that really emerged as a, as a favorite target of uh, Jared Goff. Um, so he's either going to be competing for the number one spot or he's going to be a, a clear number two at best. Um, Detroit Lions, very lateral moves. I like DJ Chark, but this doesn't improve this Lions team uh, much at all for me, uh, especially considering he's only on a one-year contract. Um, let's stay in the NFC North, go to the green Bay Packers again, uh, moves that are just retaining talent. Devontae Adams gets the franchise tag. Uh, he gets to come back and play with Aaron Rodgers, which actually we saw those, uh, contract numbers for real. Now, uh, it sounds like, uh, Ian Rappaport's original, uh, report was pretty close. It was pretty close. It wasn't 200 million. It was like $184 million or something like that. Um, but nonetheless, they they franchise franchise tag Devontae Adams. They re-signed Devontae Campbell, the linebacker, five years, fifty million dollars. Um, a, a a a smart move. I mean, they're not they're not being too risky, but very smart moves by Green Bay. Uh, yeah, I think retain. they don't have the money to to flirt around with at this point, especially when you're paying no. Aaron Rodgers what you're going to pay him. The Devontae Campbell. Uh, story is fascinating, right? They signed him as a free agent for $2 million last year, and he goes on to have a Pro Bowl season, uh, earns himself the big payday, and still, I think, you know, that's not a bad contract. $10 million a year for a Pro Bowl middle linebacker is a good value if he ends up being that, and clearly it seems like the fit in Green Bay is the best that he's experienced throughout his NFL career, so perhaps this is the right place where he can maximize his abilities and he's going to be worth that contract. They're also bringing back Preston Smith, the defensive lineman. Uh, I saw that as well. I don't know the numbers there, but they are bringing him back. They will move on from Zedarius Smith. Uh, So we'll be some changes along the defensive line there, but for the most part, green Bay, you know, going to be focused on bringing back talent, right. To make uh, yet another run with Aaron Rodgers, Mitch, the Houston Texans, uh, making uh, just a series of more bland moves. This is what they did uh, last season. It just continues. Uh, I Is there a single notable thing here on this list besides just bringing back some of their own free agents, Malik Collins, Christian Kirksey, Desmond King on the defense, uh, bringing in some low, uh, some low priced depth pieces on the offensive line, uh, from the Titans and Jags respectively. And like, that's pretty much it for the Texans, huh? Yeah. Boring. Um, Indianapolis Colts, similar thing. Nothing exciting going on here. Uh, they, they re-signed Mo Alley Cox, the tight end. Um, Groundbreaking Mitch. Are you kidding? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's the I most mean, I like it. I like him. Don't get me I wrong. I like him too. I, yes. I, gigantor. This guy is massive. Uh, but you know, three years, 18 mil. Sure. Yeah. He's a great red zone yeah. threat. You know, he's, he's proven, but we again, don't even know who their quarterback's going to be right. Like who the hell cares who the tight end is if they don't figure out the quarterback position. Yeah, I don't, like, I really don't Well, hey, it's going to be Jacob Easton or Sam Ellinger. I'll no, tell you that. No, it ain't. It better not be. If you're a Colts fan, 
It better be the ghost of Andrew Luck walking in the door first day of training camp. If, okay, just a quick hypothetical. Let's say Carson Wentz kind of pans out and they make the playoffs and the Indianapolis Colts have to play Jacob Eason. Is this the biggest loss that Indianapolis has had since Peyton Manning? No, I think the Andrew Luck retirement just kind of puts it all over the top, right? Well, okay, let's take the Andrew Luck thing out of it. I mean, because that was so unexpected and out of the blue. Right. I mean, I I don't think they should. I don't think so, Mitch, because I don't think it's about Carson Wentz being good enough to, like, take the next team to the playoffs because they were on the borderline of the playoffs themselves this year with Carson Wentz. Right. So, so, so that has to be a loss for the Colts. I, but that's what I, I don't think it's about that though. I don't think it's about, you know, can he take the next team to the playoffs? It's, is he good enough to sustain playoff runs? I'm sure. I think it's more about that than just, can he make the playoffs one year with Washington? Like they almost made it last year with Indianapolis and they didn't even, they clearly don't believe he's the guy. Right. So I don't know if it's just as simple as that. Uh, certainly would be bad if they move on from Carson Wentz and are only trotting up Sam Ellinger next year, right? <laughs> certainly you would hope there's another move uh, to be made there if you're uh, Indianapolis. Mitch, let's move on to uh, the probably the biggest story for agency so far, which has been the Jacksonville Jaguars, making some big moves, really in large part resetting the market on a lot of these positions uh, for better or worse. And it seems like NFL teams are very upset about this. Agents are like, great. Yes, let's negotiate these numbers. Not so fast from NFL teams. These are the uh, acquisitions so far for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mentioned Christian Kirk coming over four year, $72 million deal could be up to $84 million. Uh, for Christian Kirk, the wide receiver from the Cardinals. They also signed Raiders wide receiver Zay Jones to three years, 24. They also signed tight end Evan Ingram to a nine-year deal. Or sorry, Evan Ingram to a one-year, $9 million deal. They brought in Brandon Scherf from the Commanders, three years, $49.5 million for the guard. Uh, Fully Fatukasi, a great run defender at the defensive tackle, three years, $30 million. Foyer, Aloakon, the linebacker from the Falcons, three years, $45 million. Mitch, they are spending so much money. And it reminds me, and if you're a Jags fan, I am sorry about this. It reminds <laughs> me of exactly what the Raiders did a few years ago. When they just started paying a bunch of mid-tier free agents a lot of money. And we're like, it's going to improve the roster. And it does a marginal amount but not the way that you think it's going to be. And you are going to end up handicapping yourself with contracts. You then have to get rid of later guys. You have to cut to save money later. And we saw it with the Raiders team, all those free agents that, uh, that Gruden and Mayock signed that they end up just cutting outright to save money. That's what this feels like from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that would be worrisome. If I'm the Jags, I would not like now a few of these moves. I do like Brandon Scherf. Absolutely. Invest on the O-line with your young quarterback. I'm on board with that, right? Evan Ingram, nine mil, take a shot on that guy. Sure. I think some of these in a vacuum are good moves. Doing all of this at once in like the first day of free agency seems like a lot. I don't know. I, I just not, I just don't know about it. Yeah. They are spending way too much money on guys that don't mean a whole lot. You know, you could put powdered sugar on a turd that doesn't make it a donut. 
they they were they're spending way too much money on something that's not going to make them a legitimate team and and you know they're way overpaying christian kirk way overpaying christian kirk um they're it's just it's just too much it's just too much for too little and uh the jaguars like they're going to probably have the flashiest offseason because of all the big money they've thrown out there. That doesn't make them any better. I mean, maybe that makes them a couple games better and they're not the number one overall pick, but that's it. I mean, yeah. that doesn't make this does not make them a competitor whatsoever. No, no. And I think that would be the worries. When you spend this much money, you better be feeling, oh, yeah, we now we've really made a step in the next direction. This doesn't feel like that. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, yeah. Mitch, Kansas City up next, uh, you know, only big free agency move so far is the signing of Justin Reed, the, the Texan safety, three years, $31 million. Uh, this is, I think this is a solid signing for Kansas City. Safety, huge position of need for them. They're going to move on from the Honey Badger. They need an upgrade over Daniel Sorensen. Uh, Justin Reed is a great free safety there. Uh, it's going to work really well on that defense. Uh, good value there for for the safety. Didn't pay top of the market price. They could have gone after like a Marcus Williams type. Uh, they didn't. They elect for Justin Reed. I think that's the right kind of place to look for the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, Justin Reed is is the right move. Um, very talented young safety. Um, and then just keeping the guys in front of Patrick Mahomes that are protecting him. Um, I know that he was kind of on the run a little bit more than often or a little bit more than what he had been in the past. Um, and keeping Orlando Brown is definitely the right move there. Uh, continue, continuing to protect Matt Patrick Mahomes. So he can uh, basically have all those weapons at his disposal. Uh, but Justin Reed, definitely a move in the right direction because that Chiefs defense at times was anemic against the pass game. So uh, a great add there to, uh, to the secondary. Um, Dallin, we got nothing to talk about the Raiders. Yeah, they not, had nothing really notable. I, I've I've only count one uh, free agent signing of Darius Phillips, the cornerback from the Cincinnati Bengals, on a one and a half million dollar deal. They they so have made go. like, and I I just kind of want to put the Raiders on blast here because like this is your time to make a move. You just you you were in the playoffs. You have a brand new head coach, new regime. This is and your now time. They're afraid to make moves. We were just talking and about how they used to make really bad moves when they didn't need it. This is your time <laughs> to go out. No, but the, even if it's a bad move. Wow, you just your, want to see him do anything. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. It's your time to go out and take the leap. Take the leap and go make a move. It would have been awesome to see you bring back Amari Cooper on a deal. It would have been awesome to see you go out and get anyone free agency, but you're not doing anything. Yeah. It's curious it, too, just because we don't know the direction are, of this team with Josh are, McDaniels and they are so complacent for such a middle of the road team that they're just a few pieces away. They're, they're so overly complacent. It's actually infuriating to see them not make a move. Like, yes, I certainly don't know where at least take a risk. At least take a risk. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I'm just curious on their direction because they haven't indicated one way or the other. 
whether they feel like they're a couple of players away from making a run, whether they feel like they need to rebuild, whether they feel like, they, like, I mean, doing nothing shows nothing. Uh, and we really haven't got a good sense from McDaniels and this new, uh, you know, front office, how they feel about the direction of this team. We'll see, uh, you know, where they involve themselves in free agency uh, moving forward. Mitch, uh, let's talk about the LA team, starting with the chargers. If the Jags were the story of free agency, certainly the chargers uh, could make an argument there. They, they brought back Mike Williams on, on the big deal, right? Three years, $60 million. But on top of that, adding on the defense in major ways, Sebastian Joseph day from the Rams defensive tackle, getting eight, year eight million a year for three years they trade for khalil mack from your beloved bears and they sign patriots cornerback jc jackson the probably the one of the best players available in free agency to a five-year 82 and a half million dollar deal i love all these picks for the chargers i think that the chargers have done this team building well they could have pushed all the chips in last offseason when they saw herbert his rookie year and thought okay the windows here, rookie quarterback on you know rookie wage scale. We got to do this now, but they made some moves. They improved and they didn't push all their chips in immediately. And they've gotten significantly better this off season yet again. And with the growth of their young quarterback and growth with this, the system and, you know, continuity and the coaching staff could, we should expect to see even more improvement from the chargers and certainly uh, putting themselves in the playoffs uh, next season. I just don't want to talk about the Chargers. I just don't because it just makes me sad. Like you sad about Mack? We we spent all that all that capital on Cleo Mack just to flip him for a second and a sixth. Yeah, I mean four just years later for, though. You know, I mean it's not like the, it was just last year. The dude is still in his twenties. He's still in the he could still be in the peak of his prime and he's an edge guy. Those guys last for a long time. We get a second for a six. Unbelievable. Unex- inexcusable. Well, you hate to see it. Uh, Khalil Mack is 31, by the way. So, you know, on the beginning, doesn't matter. Of the end, doesn't Khalil matter. Mack. Doesn't matter. Doesn't help. Okay. Uh, doesn't Mitch, matter. The Los Angeles Rams. Uh, bringing back a couple offensive linemen. Uh, Andrew Whitworth announced his retirement. We talked about Austin Corbett going to the Carolina Panthers, but they do bring back center Brian, Brian Allen on a three-year, $24 million deal, and Joe Noteboom to replace Whitworth at tackle, three years, $40 million. I think these are solid moves for the Rams to you know keep some continuity, uh, even though they were going to lose some players, right, and, and, and keep consistently along that offensive line. Certainly, Expect them to look even more, especially in the draft with those comp picks in the mid rounds, uh, adding along the offensive line there. But uh, I trust the Rams uh, team building at this point, honestly, just because they it's succeeded. Right. <laughs> I mean, it worked. They won a Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, these comp picks and low end free agents, like I just feel like they're going to probably be able to make it work. Yeah, I know it doesn't re- replace Austin Corbett, but guys like Joe, Joe Napoom and, and Brian Allen are definitely good ads as as guys that could could replace the Los Angeles, you know, replace that need that they have on the offensive line. So um, continue to build or run it back again. The Rams need to do that. They have the roster to do it for at least a couple more years. And building up, uh, upon the offensive line is a great strategy to do that. Continue to protect the veteran quarterback. Um, moving on to the Miami Dolphins, another very active team uh, this, this offseason. 
we look at guys like Teddy Bridgewater coming in to play uh, a backup role to Tua Tungavailoa on a one-year, six-and-a-half million contract. Um, Chase Edmonds coming in uh, in that confusing running back room, two years, 12.6 million. Cedric Wilson was the big one here. He needed a wide receiver weapon. Uh, three years, $22.8 million. Uh, they also franchise tag Mike Jacecki. Um Dolphins seem to be uh, slowly building to to give Tua what he needs to succeed, at least offensively. Um, maybe not maybe not the defensive moves that, that we would have liked to see. I know they also added Connor Williams on a two-year $14 million deal, but um, yeah, at least they're adding offensively to give Tua at least some weapons to work with moving forward. Well, yeah, and I think that's the right place to go. I think Cedric Wilson at that price tag, about seven a million dollars a year for wide receiver three that I think has shown to be pretty solid is a smart investment. I don't mind going after chase Edmonds at that price uh, in that running back room and certainly doesn't stop them from adding a piece in the draft. Uh, And you know what, Mitch, you know what I really like is Teddy Bridgewater for six and a half million dollars a year to have that as a backup. And you gotta, you gotta think that Mike McDaniel coming in as a new head coach, right? Looks at his system and says, you know, I've seen Nick Mullins and CJ Bethard and like God knows who look successful in this offense, right? Under Kyle Shanahan. So I know that if I if, if two is not the guy that I can put, you know, this baseline of player and be competent here. And Teddy Bridgewater is absolutely that. And at that price, uh, I think it's a no brainer to bring in behind two. If you believe you're a playoff team and you want to hedge your bets there, no matter what happens with your young quarterback, I think that's the right move there. I do think underrated play here, uh, the Cow- the Cowboys guard, Connor Williams, adding him to your $14 million. They need offensive line help badly uh, in adding on the interior there. Just more players to kind of figure that uh, group out, I think is huge for Miami. So I did, I did like that move as well. Uh, Mitch, Minnesota. Vikings not really doing too much, adding a few defensive players so far. Uh, obviously, they're re-signing. They re-signed Kirk Cousins, added a year to his extension. It's basically year 35. So he's there for two years now. They've committed to Kirk Cousins, which is interesting. I talked about in the NFC offseason needs uh, the thought of just moving on from him now. But clearly, uh, they're going to stick with Kirk at least for a couple of years. Uh, they they signed Harrison Phillips from the Bills, the defensive tackle, to a three-year, $19.5 million deal, also adding linebacker Jordan Hicks previously with the Cardinals, two years, $10 million. Uh, not big-time moves, solid players, uh, good for a team that wants to compete. Uh, but Minnesota, I mean, committing to Kirk Cousins again, right? It just seems like, okay, they're, they believe they can make the playoffs next year, albeit as like a wild card. And that's what they're going to push for. That's what these moves uh, would indicate to me as well. Yeah. I mean, he has to be the guy in their minds has to be the guy uh, pairing him up with Justin Jefferson uh, and Dalvin cook, um, give him the defense around him. And I think, and I think that we might be looking at a, a, a decent team, but like we said, like they're in a very weird, like we said in previous podcasts, they they're in a very weird situation where like, they're not quite rebuild, but they're not really that good. So they're, they're kind of in a weird situation. And I guess adding to the defense would, would provide at least some help at, uh, at, in some capacity. Following the Vikings signings, let's go to the New England Patriots. Uh, 
Brian Hoyer coming back as a backup, two years, $4 million. James White, another uh, integral piece of that um, uh, of that offense coming back on two-year, $5 million deal. Um, not a whole lot else outside of that. They bring back guys like uh, Matthew Slater as a special teamer. They get that Mac, the Mac Wilson um, acquisition from the Browns via the trade um, uh, for Winovich. Um yeah, lateral, this is just a lateral, lot of bring bringing guys back, right? Lateral, yeah. lateral moves, lateral yeah, all, moves. Most of these additions, James White, Hoyer, McCordy, Slater, uh, were all guys that were on the roster last year. So re-signing your own free agents, uh, swapping the the linebackers there with Wilson, uh, Winovich there. Not, not much for the Patriots yet. Uh, we'll see what other moves they have in store. They did spend a lot last year in, in free agency, right? Perhaps... Uh, uh, not going to be quite the same spending for this offseason. Mitch, the Saints don't really have much either. Uh, we talked about the Vegas Raiders not really having much uh, of note here. Saints, uh, nothing really going on for New Orleans yet. They are in the mix for Deshaun Watson. Uh, certainly would be a big move if they do pull off that trade. The New York Giants, though, uh, Mitch adding along the offensive line, Mark Glowinski, Colts offensive guard, three years, 20 million, solid pickup there, and then Backup to Rod Taylor, two years, $11 million. I like this. Again, another solid veteran backup for a young quarterback. And for Brian Dable, who maybe believes he has a winning team and doesn't know about the quarterback, you want to secure yourself with a guy you can fall back on if Daniel Jones is not it, right? And Tyrod, certainly capable as a starter still. Uh, I do like that addition as a veteran quarterback. Going to the other New York team, uh, the New York Jets, giving getting uh, Tevin Coleman on a one-year deal. Uh, a lot of questions at the running back position. Is Michael Carter the answer? Um, they also bring in C.J. Uzoma uh, from the Bengals. Lakin Tomlinson, the big ad, three years, $40 million, bringing in the offensive guard. Um, Quarterback DJ Reed, three years, thirty-three million, eleven years or eleven million a year for the uh, former Seahawks corner. Um, the the Jets are actually making pretty good ads here, and and seem to be moving in the right direction. Uh, doesn't make them a contender by any means, but uh, seems like that they they're at least taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean the Jets have a lot of needs, right? So uh, they're not going to address all those in free agency, anyways. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm with you. I think these are very smart moves. I love CJ Uzama uh, for for Zach Wilson and improvement at the tight end position, adding interior offensive line with Lake and Tomlinson, him and Elijah Vera Tucker uh, locking down the guard positions for the jets. You love to see that and cornerback big need for them. They could certainly address it in the top 10 in the NFL draft with those two picks, but DJ Reed solid cornerback to $11 million a year for him. So, yeah, I mean, I think I like the jets. Uh, I like the jets additions as well as who they brought back Braxton Berrios. I think that's an underrated signing here. Two years, $12 million for the wide receiver who I think emerged at the end of last season as a really solid slot wide receiver developed a rapport with Zach Wilson pretty well. And you like seeing uh, the team recognize that and wanting to bring back a player who works well with their young quarterback as you try to build uh, success there in New York. Mitch, the Eagles, uh, only one sort of notable move here, and that's uh, bringing in uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, who was the uh, outside linebacker edge with the Panthers. Three-year, $45 million contract. Now, Reddick had a big season in 2020, 
with the Arizona Cardinals. Didn't have the robust free agent market last offseason, so signed with the Panthers for a one year, I believe is only $8 million. Uh, you know, gambled on himself, bet that he could do it again, had another good season this past year with the Carolina Panthers and cashes in $15 million a year for Hassan Reddick. I think uh, it's a bit of an overplay uh, pay, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I think if uh, you look at it in 2020, he had a great season along on the other side of Chandler Jones, who's an elite pass rusher who teams have to account for on an every down basis. And last year in Carolina, he's opposite. Brian Burns, who is an elite pass rusher who teams have to, you know, focus on on a down to down basis. So when you play off of those guys, you have a little more success. Good for him cashing in on this payday. Don't know if he'll be worth that $50 million contract for the Eagles, but uh, it's the type of move they needed to make. And I think I think a solid addition nonetheless. Yeah, I think a great addition. I think that, yeah, it's going to be a great addition for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers confusing signings by the Pittsburgh Steelers. We look at number one front and center, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, two years, $14 million uh, to sign as uh, the next quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because let's be honest, you don't want to start Mason Rudolph. You don't want to start Dwayne Haskins. Mitchell Trubisky actually is the winningest quarterback on that roster right now. Uh, a guy that actually took a Matt Nagy offense in Chicago and actually won with it, won 12 games with it just a few years ago. Um, he's going to be a part of that offense. Uh, you, you got Chikuma Okorafor uh, on a three-year, 29 and a quarter million dollars uh, to protect Trubisky or whoever's under center. Uh, in addition to also adding James Daniel, James Daniels and Mason Cole to that. So um, down the, a lot of confusion with the with the Mitchell Trubisky signing. I feel like that there is a it almost seems like a placeholder deal. Um, but you and I had talked off air just last night about maybe this. You know, it, it seems odd that you would sign for a placeholder when maybe Mason Rudolph would be just as good of, as a placeholder as Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, it's just the team building aspect of this is so strange. And I do. I, this is the only confusing move for me. I mean, adding along the offensive line is very wise. This is a bad offensive line. And uh, so adding pieces, even if they're marginal improvements like Cole and Daniels and resigning a core for, I think those are fine for the Steelers. But Trubisky for $7 million a year over two years. I just, this cannot have been the plan post Big Ben. Right. Like this could not have been like the front office gets together and they're like, all right, Big Ben's gone. We're looking ahead at 2022. We've got a playoff team on our hands and we need an elite quarterback to take us over the edge. Who are we getting? And they all raised their hands unanimously and said, Mitchell fucking Trubisky. Right. Like there's there's no way this was the plan. So I want to know, Mitch, what was the plan? And where did they fail, right? Like, what was it Aaron Rodgers? Well, was it Russell Wilson? Because, like, they, they always made sense as a destination, but they were never really rumored to be in on those guys. And I always found that curious. And that, now, had to be, that had to be plan 1A and 1B. It had to be. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone, they wouldn't have gone for another placeholder. Like, it, it seems like that they're, like, getting a placeholder and then, Somewhere in the draft, because they're drafting, I think, 20th, which is around where Kenny Pickett might be going. They get a young quarterback, like a Pickett or Malik Willis, or somewhere that's got someone that's, you know, some quarterback's going to go in the first round. 
that just seems like their plan now, but that's plan B. You know, plan A was Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Maybe they're not even in the runnings for Deshaun Watson. Maybe Deshaun Watson would veto a trade from him. You know, it, it has to there. This has to be plan B. I, I mean, I you would what, think, right? Because Trubisky for seven million dollars a year when he just sat the entire last season as a backup in Buffalo is certainly not an inspiring move for a fan base. It certainly isn't the long term answer that you're looking for. And Trubisky, I think, made a lot of sense in certain places, right? There was a lot of rumors that the Giants would look at bringing him in, right? He was in Buffalo with Dable competing with Daniel Jones. That made sense. There were rumors that Carolina would bring him in. He's a North Carolina guy competing with Sam Darnold for a start. Like those sort of made sense as teams that like he was maybe better than their starter. And Trubisky is arguably better than Mason Rudolph and, and Dwayne Haskins. That's fine. But we're looking at a roster that's cap- that made the playoffs with poor quarterback play. Right, like bad quarterback play from Big Ben, and this was still a playoff team. Like if they had good quarterback team play, they could win a Super Bowl. And they've brought in Mitchell Trubisky. So yes, what is the actual plan? Does this mean that they're going to target a quarterback in the first round of the draft? Hope that Trubisky could be the starter this year, and that that player can develop to be their future starter. I mean, we'll see. But certainly, if you're a Steelers fan. Uh, I mean, you were dreaming of those mock-ups of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson in a Steelers jersey, and now you're grappling with the fact that Mitchell Trubisky's your starter next season. That just cannot be a good feeling. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Mitch, let's talk. We got a few more teams here before we wrap up NFL free agency recap, and let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers who uh, really haven't made too many big moves, the most notable of which is signing Chiefs cornerback Chardavius Ward, uh, three years, $40 million. I think he's a solid corner, and it was definitely one of their positions of need. It was probably the most obvious position of need was uh, adding at the cornerback position. It certainly doesn't take them out of the running from different other corners and even looking in the draft, but I think this is a solid pickup for a room that just needed improvement I uh, had to go get a guy, and I, I think I I think this is a pretty good move. Not a great move, but it's a solid pickup. It's it's solid. I mean, they they struggled against the pass, and they went and addressed that need in free agency. So um, I don't think that's the end of their addressing that need, but at least it's a very good, solid start with Traverius Ward on the three-year, $40.5 million deal. Um, Seattle Seahawks down – it's total rebuild mode in Seattle. It's apparent. Uh, poor DK Metcalf has to be stuck there. Um, but you know they bring in Drew Locke and Noah Fant via the trade with the with the with the Broncos for the in the Russell Wilson deal. Um, they signed de- defensive lineman Shelby Harris, or actually they get him via trade. Um, other than that, it's re-signings with yep. Disley, Jones, and Diggs, and it, they're they're in full rebuild mode. It just it's it just screams that to me, full rebuild. You think so? I I, I mean, I don't really know. I don't I, maybe I don't get that sense from them because some of these, I mean, paying forty million for Quandre Diggs at safety if you're trying to rebuild. I mean, that's like you're paying him thirteen million dollars a year at safety. That's a lot of money in one position. Uh, well. If you, if you don't feel like you're competing right now. And I look at Will Disley, Mitch, I mean, they traded for Noah Fant. It's arguably a young, talented tight end. You want to give him a good shot and you're paying your, your backup tight end, your second tight end, $8 million a year. 
thought that was like a really interesting move. And I mean, I like Will Disley. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's like a horrible overpay by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it is curious still what the Seahawks are going to do post Russell Wilson. Uh, it doesn't really seem like they've given a clear indication one way or the other. I mean, I just think that you, if you sign a guy like Quandry, Quandry Diggs and Will Disley to three-year deals, paying them enough, you, you're trying to do something that is going to be, you know, not a one year, two year, three year turnaround. Like you, you're doing something down the road. So um, that's what screams rebuild to me. So I, I mean, I could be wrong. They could turn around and try to make some big moves and make some big deals, but uh, it seems like they're in a rebuild phase uh, for me, at least um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, big news. <laughs> the big news this week, obviously Tom Brady coming out of retirement uh, he's the new Brett Favre. By the way, I know it's later than we usually do this, but I'm going to put Tom Brady in the pit of misery. Yes, thank you. I'm glad we did this unprompted. I'm glad you're doing this because I meant to ask you to put, <laughs> to put him in there. For the fake retire, he retired. He All he did was go on vacation for 40 days and then was like, all right, I'm good, guys. I'm actually going to play this year. Like, what was what was that, Mitch? What was that? Look, here's the deal. First of all, dilly dilly. dilly, uh, dilly. Sec- second of all, go the hell away, Tom Brady. We don't want you anymore. You have nothing left to prove. You've literally done it all. You have broken every record. You've won more Super Bowls than anyone. You've won... I think he's won more MVPs than anyone. You have nothing left to prove. Just go away and help your kids with their math homework. That's all we want. That's all we want you to do. You could watch, He could have walked away gracefully. He could have done it. He could have done it. Now he's the next Brett Favre. Now he's the next Brett Favre. And it, it, it's just – why? Why, Dallin? Why? I don't know. My, you know my, th- week, my week was so bad last week, and I hate to be a bitch about this. Cleo Mack gets traded. Aaron Rodgers comes back to the Packers. Tom Brady comes back. What could be worse? There's not a worse week in Chicago Bears history than what happened last week. I can't stand the idea of Tom Brady coming back for, for season 23. He is going to get hit and poof into a pile of dust. That's what's going to happen. That's what's gonna happen. My, my favorite part about it was him him speaking on the unfinished business he has. Like what how business? Ma- <laughs> what business? What have you not accomplished in your career that you're That's sitting what there I said. What thinking are you doing? like you know I nope unfinished business baby? There he is gonna be 45 years old when he plays this year. It is incredible, but yeah, you just ruined your retirement because when you actually retire, no one's gonna believe you. No, no one's going to no believe gonna, you, and no one's no going to appreciate care. you when you leave. They're going to no be like, F you, you should have left years ago. So, you know, if Tom Brady wants to ruin his retirement, I guess, uh, you know, so be it. But, uh, you know, the only additional move, I guess they made a couple additional moves. They traded for Shaq Mason today, sending a fifth-round pick to the Patriots. Shaq Mason's a really good guard. Loves seeing them sure up the offensive line as they lost uh, Ali Marpet to retirement. Uh, and Alex Camp at a free agency. Uh, they did bring in Russell Gage from the Falcons on a three-year, $30 million deal. Like that as a third wide receiver option with Chris Godwin 
and Mike Evans. Uh, and they're able to bring back Ryan Jensen and Carlton Davis. So you're going to see more free agents probably uh, for these bucks come back on favorable deals to team up with Tom Brady. Once again, uh, obviously that was the, the boost that they needed pre free agency, but uh, bad for the rest of us and not fun. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Worst Agreed. off season of all time. Worst Already? Season. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. It's all right. Uh, Tennessee Titans. The big signing really for them, Harold Landry, the outside linebacker, re-signing him five years, $87.5 million. Yeah. Um, they bring in Jamarco Jones from Seattle, but you know, they really just, uh, again, a lot of lateral moves, a lot of maintenance moves. I think we could coin that phrase maintenance moves for the Tennessee Titans to keep them contenders, but nothing really to put them over the edge to make them serious Super Bowl contenders out of the AFC. Mitch, I am so disappointed in you that you didn't lead off the Tennessee Titans with your boy returning to the Titans, Jeff Swaim. Oh, well, he's not even on the news, man. I he's mean, not, he, did, he didn't make your news. Come on. What I the, love the Jeff. disrespect. Uh, no, Jeff Swaim heading back to the Titans, man. Resigning, sticking around. Tennessee taking care of their own. Add marginally around. What's the contract? What's the contract? No idea. Oh, okay. No idea. I just know he's back. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But yes, I got a boy, Jeff. Way to go. Yes, good. Congrats to him. Uh, Mitch, final team here, Washington Commanders. Obviously, the big move for them is bringing in Carson Wentz at quarterback. Uh, and that's really about it, notable right now for Washington. I'm sure we'll see some more moves, uh, especially at wide receiver. You got to think they're going to add somebody else there when they've invested into Wentz and pairing Terry McLaurin with somebody on the outside there. I'd look at a veteran like, uh, you know, Allen Robinson potentially as as a guy that could that could get a look there in Washington could be good, but uh, n- not much uh, not much going on for Washington right now uh, in the early days of free agency. And Mitch, that's uh that's that's about it for the free agency recap. We've gone over every team and uh, pretty much every transaction that's gone down in these first couple of days of free agency. We'll continue to monitor this as free agency advances. And if you don't remember, we are recording this Tuesday night, the 15th. So things have probably happened in the span of us beginning to record this and now, and that is what it is. So we'll hit on those uh, on next week's episode. But for now is what we got. We've, we've done it all, Mitch. Uh, it's been a chock full podcast. What else is there to say? Gosh damn it, Bears. Gosh, <laughs> that's it. Bears. That's what you that's what you got. Another lament for the Chicago Bears. This has been a sad hey. podcast for you, man. Been down and out, buddy. Yeah. You know what? First it was the A's, of- now it's the Bears. Yeah, it's just a, it's a tough fan base to be a part of, I guess. Tough fan bases to be a part of. But you know what? There's always the hope of tomorrow. And like I said in the beginning of this podcast. You only have 365 of these a year. There's no sense in having a bad one. And there's never a bad one when I am recording with you, my friend. So, oh, yes. Yes. Or, we, well, or, when we have, or when we have our date nights. We have our date nights every now and then. That so. is true. That is true. Day night is always fun. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening and sticking around in this episode. If you don't already follow us on social, the Twitter is at Sports Hour Guys. The Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys. The TikTok 
at the Sports Hour, guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at Little Thoint. Mitch, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only way that you can become a part of the conversation. Go on anchor.fm slash the Sports Hour, guys. Leave us a voice message. Leave us a follow-up to today's top five. Leave us a follow-up of what your most impactful uh, free agent signing this offseason so far is. We want to hear from you. Become a part of the conversation. Once again, that is anchor.fm slash the sports hour. Guys, you can listen to us anywhere that you get your podcast. That is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Go on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating review. Tell us we suck because Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we could get better. And a reminder to you to check out the website if you haven't already, the sportshourguys.wordpress.com. Check out our regular articles on there and much more coming in the future. So, guys, that'll do it for the podcast today. We appreciate you sticking around, hanging out. As always, the Ides of March continue on. I know what that means. I know what that means. That means the middle of March. It's the exactly. It's the oh, middle of March. Oh, there we go. Okay. Cool. I think Julius Caesar said it once. I don't know. That's 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 I all know. I got. I, I don't remember that exactly. The education system, you know, you only retain so much. But uh, until, until next time, guys, we love you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next week. Screw you, Tom Brady. See ya. See ya.